All right. You know, I, I feel I feel kind of silly. Um, really bringing this topic up with you, biblical communication. I feel like you probably already know this. Like no one struggles here with their words. Um, you know, you're you're the A team, so of course you've never sinned with your mouth. So, uh, well, just forgive me. It'll probably be rudimentary for you, right? <laughs> if anybody restrains his tongue, if he tames his tongue, he's a perfect person, right? We all have sinned with our tongues. And, and I think that even now, as you're thinking about the way that you, you, you've used your tongue, you cringe thinking, yeah, that one time, and actually that wasn't just that one time, there was the other time too, and, then, and that was just uh, in one day, you know? And so we, we have all put our foot in our mouths, we've been insensitive, we've been harsh, we've, we've taken our pound of flesh with our words. How can we help each other? How can we help our counselees to embrace Speech patterns that glorify God and pursue peace. That's what we're talking about today. And so you'll find these principles are particularly helpful when it comes to the issue of conflict between two parties, right? So let's get started. Let's lay the foundation. Some of these things we've already heard and we've already talked about in track one over these last three weekends, but let's make sure that we don't forget them along the way. So I'll go through these briefly. Mark 7, 21 through 23. Sins of the tongue come out of the heart. Text says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And so let's not forget that our mouths are expressions of what's going on inside of us, right? At the same time, if we're going to use words that please the Lord, we need to remember the power of the Holy Spirit is needed if we're going to speak in a way that glorifies God. Think of Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is not a simple matter of willpower, is it? Not a simple matter of willpower. In fact, what we're dealing with here is something that we need to depend on the Spirit constantly for, right? So remember that we need God in us if we're going to glorify the Lord in these ways. Also, our ambition with communication, as with everything else, should be to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, everything, your words, everything should be for God's glory. I think I mentioned this um, last the last weekend we had in October, but I heard this great um, breakout session at ACBC National Conference in Memphis last year from Omri Miles called Doxological Counseling. And he talked about how we must make the glory of God the goal of all of our counseling. Because you can, you can have a, a wife come and say, listen, I, there's so much conflict in my home right now. Uh, I need some help knowing how to communicate with my, my husband so that we can have peace. And if all you do is give her the biblical principles that we're going to be encountering from Ephesians 4 today, you're like, okay, you need to do this, do this, do this, do this. Without the glory of God as the ambition, what you've done is you have set her up with the word of God to serve her idol of peace and comfort in the home. So you've got to be careful. We've got to continually put God's glory as the goal of what we're doing in the counseling room. That's what makes, that's one of the many things that makes biblical counseling distinct from all other counseling frameworks. So let's keep that in mind. And also, the gospel is the foundation for communication that glorifies God and expresses love toward others. It's interesting. We're going to be looking at uh, principles starting in Ephesians 4.25 and then going through the end of the chapter. 
What comes before that in the book of Ephesians is chapters 1 through 3 that tell us everything that God has done for us in Christ. Who we are in Christ, the forgiveness we have in Christ, we're chosen in Christ, right? And the the dividing wall of hostility that's been broken down between Jew and Gentile in Christ and how we're one new man. All of these wonderful, glorious things that are gospel-centric come before we start getting into the imperatives, right? And the practical things that come later in those last three chapters, it should all be seen as on the on the foundation of the gospel. And I want to look with you just for a moment at Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me there starting in verse 17. This is leading up to where we're going to spend most of our time here this evening. And I want to show you the gospel here in this text as a foundation for obeying these biblical communication principles that we'll see. Starting in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. As we're going to see in the imperatives that we're walking into, starting in verse 25, all of that is to be thought of in view of the fact that if you are a Christian, when you believed in Jesus Christ, you were united with Christ, right, in his death and resurrection, so the old you died, right? And, and he was raised, you were raised, right, to walk in newness of life. That means... In your unity with Christ, you have everything you need to obey these biblical principles, right? Because of you being a new creation in Jesus. So it's very gospel-centric, uh, depending and depending on the gospel and also motivated by the gospel for us to operate in these ways and speak in these ways. Okay, so let's get into the four rules of communication. The four rules of communication. Look with me at verse 25 in Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, so there's the put off. Uh, we are to live remembering that the old us, the old you has died and you are new. So put off falsehood. Put off lying. Right? And put on speaking the truth. Right? So let's, let's talk about the first of the rules. Be honest. Right? Speak the truth. If we're thinking about conflict resolution, speaking to other people that we're in conflict with in a way that's going to promote peace and it's going to highlight the gospel and the glory of God, we need to be honest. Speak the truth. Now, let's break this down a little bit. Okay? First, we have to speak according to this text of scripture to actually speak. And the word speak here is an imperative, right? It's a command for us to obey. So you don't just close your mouth and stop lying. You must also positively speak the truth, okay? So that means for us as Christians, clamming up is not an option, 
Okay? So, yes, I know that there is a proverb that says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And maybe you are in the midst of a little bit of conflict with uh, a spouse, perhaps. Or you're counseling people who are in the counseling talking counseling room talking about how their communication is breaking down because of, of tension in their marriage. And you have one of the members of that marriage that clams up and gives the cold shoulder. And they say, well, um, I'm just quietly holding it back. But that's often not true when there's conflict in communication because we weaponize silence. And maybe that's your tendency, or maybe that's a tendency of your counselee to weaponize silence, the cold shoulder. I will teach that person. If you're going to talk to me that way, here's what you get. No communication from me for the next day, week, ongoing. Right? So clamming up is really not an option for us if we're going to be Christians, right? Um, and by the way, that something that's implicit that goes along with this is that people cannot read our minds. Right? People cannot read our minds, and we should not expect them to. I like this. This is um, from Stuart Scott's book, The Exemplary Husband. But he says that uh, we're not to withhold information because we think the other person should already know. Well, you know me. You know, we're married. Oh, or I'm your best friend. Or I'm your mother. I'm your father. You should know, right? Well, that's a, a manipulative way of trying to communicate, isn't it? Um, and so we must run from that kind of communication and speak. But not just speak, but speak the truth, right? Speak truth is what we're to do. Being honest. Speaking the truth is a verb that involves continuous continuous action. It's a present active imperative. So it means continuously. So we are to be those people that others can expect the truth from. Are we that? Are you that? Am I that? Do people expect the truth from you? We reflect God in the way we speak. We should reflect God in the way we speak. right? So think of Hebrews 6.18. It's impossible for God to lie impossible. So I understand that we're sinful, but we should more and more be seeking to highlight the character of God, to show the world what he is like, and he doesn't lie. So are you going to tell the truth? And so doing, say, I I want to be a representative, an ambassador of my great God who never lies. I go to his word every single day, and I know that I don't have to doubt it at one point. In one word, I don't have to doubt it because he never lies. Are we reflecting that? Are our counselees reflecting that? Do we need to help them to get there? What else? Well, there are some ways in which we can communicate falsehood. There are different ways that we can actually be dishonest with our speech as we're seeking to communicate. So let's give a list here. Outright deceit, right? Bald-faced lie. Just I'm going to just look at you and tell you the opposite of the truth. Right? We can do that. You and I have both done that. Everybody in this room has. But there are probably some different ways of being dishonest that are more regular for us. Okay? What about this one? Incongruency. Which simply means this. This is from IBCD. When halo communication and content communication conflict. Okay? So, like halo data, what, what you see on someone's face what you're reading and their body language and what they're, they're actually saying, the content communication, when those two things are at odds, then there is 
dishonesty, right? Nothing. I'm fine. Stop asking. I'm fine. You don't have to ask me that question, right? What did I just communicate? With my facial expression and with my tone, I communicated, I'm not fine, but I said I'm fine, right? We do that all the time because we we don't want to deal with it. So we we lie. We're, We're dishonest. There's incongruency. What about this one? This will get all of us, I'm, I guarantee it, okay? Just so you can run to Christ, okay? I want us to be challenged. Here we go. 100% words. Exaggeration. Did anybody use 100% words? All, never, everything, always, nothing, everything. I think all of us, I can really say all of us in that regard, and that's true. All of us. I think that's true. <laughs> have used 100% words. Right? And, and, and 100% words, um, they're exaggerative. And th- by the way, they only ex- exacerbate the problem. Right? They make things worse. It escalates whenever you're saying, you always say that. Or you never meet my needs in this way. Right? Uh, all the time you're doing this or that. Right? Or you never do this or that. And so w- when we use words like that, we're really, um, with a lie, making things much harder. If you want to pursue peace, don't use 100% words. Um, that's not going to get you peace. It's not, that, that means doesn't actually achieve that end. It really just seeks to do more damage. Why would we do that? Do we want more trouble in our lives? It's never gone well, has it? <laughs> what about half-truths? Half-truths. This is what Satan did in the garden. He is a master of half-truths. The father of lies, as Jesus called him. But he says this in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? Would they know good and evil if they ate of the tree? Absolutely. But what he didn't tell them was this. You will know good and evil because you will become evil. You will know it experientially. He didn't say that, did he? And we, when we use half-truths, when we tell tell one side of things and conveniently leave the other side out, we're acting like Satan, not God. Half-truths. Or simply this, failing to reveal the truth when asked. Silence, not giving the truth, diverting in some way. These are all ways for us to be dishonest. Honesty means being open and honest about the truth. It's also a heart attitude. And we see again in Colossians 3, verse 9, that Paul writes, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Why would you lie? That was part of the old you. That's not who you are anymore. So don't run back to your old way of life and your old way of speaking because that person's dead. You see? Think of Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. I didn't have this in your notes, but you might want to write this one down. It says, a lying tongue hates its victims. Not the damage that is done through lies. A lying tongue hates its victims. Have you ever thought of lying that way? I'm hating this person when I am lying to them? Makes it that much worse, right? And we see in that we need that much 
more grace and we need to run to Christ that much more because it is not simply a fib, right? We also need to speak the truth in a specific way, lovingly. Early in the chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives the command to the church in this context of the church building itself up. He says, but speaking the truth in love, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And so there's a specific way in which we ought to speak truth. We're to have gracious words. We see that in Ephesians 4.29. We'll look at that later. And we also have that in Colossians 4.6. Let your words always be gracious. There's a specific way we, we tell the truth because sometimes we can be brutal with the truth. We can speak in a spiteful, angry way, in a judgmental way without giving any kind of forethought. But the reality is, Sorry, you got that? Okay. The reality is that Christians are to do what? We're to speak to one another with the other person's best interest in mind. Romans 12, verse 10. I love this verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It would be good if we asked ourselves that question. Are my words, um, are they in a good way, competitive in seeking to show honor to my brothers and sisters? Am I uh, I striving after that in the way that I speak to them and with them? Do Do I have their best interest in mind? Or do I have my best interest in mind when I speak? Like I mentioned, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each each person. Gracious speech. Loving speech. With the truth. Also, if we're going to be honest, we need to avoid manipulation tactics in what and how we speak. So Proverbs 26.28 says, A flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery is a form of manipulation. Flattery is you being complimentary of someone because you want something from them. You want that person to do something for you. You want them to treat you in a certain way. They have something you want and you selfishly are going to compliment them so that you can get that. That's manipulation. And so what ways in which we're speaking to other people have that flavor of them? Seeking to subtly, sneakily try to say something or not say something or, or even imply something so that we can get the person to respond in the way that we want them to. Being honest. But there's a second rule, the four rules of communication, and that is keep current. Keep current. Look back with me at our text in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So if we're going to communicate well with each other, it's important that we solve today's problems today. Solve today's problems today. Why is this important? 
Matthew 6.34 says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, if, if you don't deal with sin... If you don't deal with conflict with another person in a timely fashion, you're just waiting for more trouble. Tomorrow there's trouble. And so why not deal with it right now? Deal with it. Uh, I understand that sometimes we might have to walk away and cool down a little bit, and then, but we need to come back together and deal with something that's sinful in the way we communicate with one another because there's more trouble that's coming. Do we want trouble upon trouble upon trouble? Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we need to resolve our anger, but unresolved anger often leads to bitterness, which is why we need to be so proactive in dealing with sin promptly. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So you ought to strive for peace with everyone, is what the text says. But then also um, that you not obtain a root of bitterness. And by the way, that root of bitterness, he says, causes trouble. It brings about trouble when we're refusing to deal with sin, then we have this inner rage, this inner burning, right? And we look at people through that rage. We treat them accordingly instead of dealing with it and having peace be exhibited in that relationship. So why else do we need to deal with sin promptly? Because refusing to deal with today's problems probably gives the devil a foothold. Verse 27 in our text. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I've got enough temptation in my life. I've got plenty of temptation in my life. I don't need more of it by refusing to deal with sin problems with other people so that I leave the door cracked open for him to enter in and give me more temptation. Why would we want that? But when we don't deal with our anger before the sun goes down, then that's exactly what we do. Give him a foothold. Allow it to be easier for him to get to you and to tempt you. This is, a, this is really spiritual warfare. You, you want to you fight Satan and his temptations and the, the forces of darkness that are seeking to help you turn away from God? then own your sin to other people and seek reconciliation in a way that is timely. If we're going to keep current... Yeah, Ephesians 4.27 in our text there. It says, uh, and give no opportunity to the devil. There. So if we're going to keep current though, that means that sometimes we're going to have to bring up difficult sticky problems or concerns with other people in our communication. We're going to have to talk to them about their sin. We're going to have to talk to them about our sin. Um, but if we're going to approach them and confront them on a sinful issue, then we need to be careful. I like uh, Dr. Bob Smith, who is a, a biblical counselor for many, many years. He was a medical doctor and he was a biblical counselor. Um, he passed away not long ago, but he had six questions to ask yourself before bringing up a difficult problem with somebody else. So let's go through this list. Questions we should ask ourselves. First of all, do I have the facts? 
Do I have the information? Am I making assumptions that are going to actually make the problem worse? We've talked about Proverbs 18.13 in this class. right? He who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Should love cover it? 1 Peter 4.8, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 19.11 says it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes we just need to let it go. Right? We need to say, Lord, I'm, I want to love like you love. And that means I'm not going to nitpick this person on their sin right now. So give me the grace to love them and to treat them the way you treat me in Christ. Should love cover it? Is my timing right? I think we, we brought this up last week when we were talking about the qualifications of biblical counselors. But is my timing right? Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good is it? A word in season. Proverbs 25.11 talks about uh, a word at the right time. That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes we have the right words, but the wrong timing. We need the right timing and the right words, right? Is my attitude right in this? I find that sometimes in my own personal life that... Uh, the thing that I'm going to go and talk to this person about, um, I'm on biblical grounds in terms of the fact that this person has sinned. There's something that they need to do to reconcile with either me or somebody else. But my attitude about it is in the wrong place. I, I need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, will, will you cleanse me of this, uh, this anger I have? I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm really put out with this person. And um, I, I, I can already sense in my heart a desire to want to be harsh. What, will you... Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me of this heart disposition, this desire in my heart, and help me to bring this truth to them lovingly? Right? So you're going to have to ask yourself if the attitude you have is, is right when you're thinking about bringing this up to another person. And if it's not, then go to the Lord in prayer. Seek Him. Pray a little Psalm 51 kinds of prayers. Create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, right? Are my words loving? Just similar. We talked about that a minute ago. This is a good one too. Have I prayed for God's help? Have I inquired of the Lord? Lord, I, I want to do things your way for your glory. It's not about me. This is about me exalting you, showing that I belong to you, that you've saved me, that I'm a new man. I'm your representative, but if, if I go in there, guns a-blazing, I'm not going to represent you very well. So help me. So go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to trust you with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. So that's not an option. Give me the grace I need. Okay, so that's keep current. And by the way, before we go on to the next, the next rule, I want to remind you of the fact that if you will seek to initiate reconciliation with other people, oftentimes they respond positively. It's not a promise that they will respond positively, but um, they, in seeing your humility, right? Uh, whenever there is, there's a sin that you need to own. Now, that was kind of more of confronting somebody else with their sin. But when you need to be the person uh, who asks forgiveness, you see your sin for what it is, don't wait for the other person to initiate. I think sometimes we can think to ourselves, it's their turn. They need to come to me this time. I did it last time. I'm going to wait until they come. That's selfish. That's sinful. That's not godly. 
If you see your sin, take it to the Lord. Do that horizontal or that vertical business with the Lord, seeking His forgiveness and His grace. But at the same time, you need to do the horizontal work with this person. Initiate. It doesn't matter if they come first or not. But if you go and you will humble yourself before this person, oftentimes they see that and the Lord uses that to soften their heart. And they're more willing to own their side of things. And then it's easier for you to reconcile. So uh, that's just a a practical thing that that, um, I've seen a lot in in counselees in my own life too. So that shouldn't be our first ambition. Like, I'm just going to do this because then they'll really see their part in the matter and I'll get them to say what I really want them to say. That's not why. Uh, But it, it is the Lord chooses to use our obedience to bless others and to get other people to reconcile with us. That's the way the Lord works. He works oftentimes through our faith and our faithful choices. So don't be afraid to initiate that conversation. Okay, let's keep going. Number three, attack the problem, not the person. Let's go back to our text. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, if we thought about Ephesians 4, 29, more frequently, I think that we would be helped, right? To ask questions in light of it. But the reason why this is called attack the problem, not the person, is because a lot of times what we end up doing is we make a situation worse, If we're at conflict with another person, we seek to use our words not in a way that builds up, but in a way that tears down. Not in a way that gives grace, but actually seeks to do damage. That's the way we speak. But that's attacking the person. What we need to do is attack the problem. Not the person who is made in God's image, who if they're a believer, is an heir of grace with you, Things that we need to remember whenever we're speaking about the person that we are speaking to, that God made that person, the person is stamped with God's image. If they're a Christian, that they belong to him, that they are blood bought by Jesus Christ. He died and rose for that person, that you're going to be spending eternity with that person in heaven. All these things are going to help you to speak to them in a way that is a lot more peaceful, God glorifying, honorable. So attack the problem, not the person. We've got to put off words that tear down and attack. There's a, a proverb that um, I find myself repeating in my house um, far more than I want to. <laughs> and that is Proverbs, sorry, let me go back. Proverbs 12.18. Proverbs 12.18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are your words or your counselee's words, when they are um, in a conflict with another person, are they doing damage like that? By the way, the, the word rash, right, rash words, it's been uh, translated in other translations as reckless And the idea here is that um, you're just spewing out language. You're not giving any thought to what it actually uh, might do and how it might affect other people. You're just letting full vent 
to your spirit, right? Your heart. You're just letting it all out. And it's like somebody who, who just goes into a room and just starts, like, if they were to, like, shoot a gun or something. You're just, you're just letting it all go out. What, what does that do to other people? How does it make them feel? How does it hurt their hearts? How does it grieve them? You're not giving any thought to that. You're just spewing it out and doing damage. And so, we need to be those who are giving intentional thought to the words that come out of our mouths. What does Jesus say? It's in John chapter 12, I believe. He says, we'll be held accountable for every thoughtless word. Every thoughtless word. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 821. What this means is that you can do great good or great harm with your tongue, right? Great good or great harm with your tongue. Which is it going to be is the question. Do you want to be the kind of person that is um, giving life? And the proverb says that the, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, just pouring forth not reckless words, not rash words, but life-giving words. Oh God, help us that we might be that kind of speaker, that kind of um, spokesperson for God with other people. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And by the way, according to our text back in Ephesians 4, we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our words. That's another reason not to do it, to grieve the indwelling Spirit that is within us. Let that be a reason for us to turn away from such talk. Corrupt, back in our text in verse 29, by the way, means this, rotten. Rotten words. Corrupt, you know, that might not translate uh, to us a little bit, but you, you say rotten words, that helps, that's picturesque, right? And the, the rotten fruit that you, you find, like I, the pumpkin that was on my front porch <laughs> that I finally threw away last week, that was disgusting, you know. <laughs> At least it was in January though, right, you know. But it's that, it's that picturesque kind of thought. That, that look at the decomposing like that. Is that the effect you want to have? Is that, are those the words that you want coming out of your mouth? Or gracious, building up kinds of words? Biblical communication as well should give grace. Right? And so, are you, uh, with your words, um, requiring people to say certain things to you? Or do certain things to you? before you will speak to them in a way that is blessed and honorable? Or are you simply going to speak graciously to them because God wants you to and because you want to highlight the gospel in the way that you speak? Are you giving grace? Thinking of Paul, right? Grace to you, he begins his letters, and then grace with you at the end because he's so gospel-centric in his ministry. We must put off words that tear down and attack the person. But then... Put on words that build up and attack the problem, right? When you attack the person, you bypass the problem. You're just getting at that person. You want that person to hurt. They made you hurt. They made your your life harder. And so you want to do the same to them. And it gets worse and worse and worse, right? You bypass the problem. But we, rather, we ought to be Philippians 2, 3, and 4 kinds of people. Considering the other person's interests as more important than your own. 
When you walk into a conversation you have to have, whether it's a spouse or whether it's somebody else, maybe it's somebody in the church, maybe another family member, when you walk into that conversation, you should be thinking, okay, I need to consider this person as more important than myself. I'm, I'm the least important person in this conversation. That's, that's the way I need to be thinking about this. So that should, um, that should color the way that I speak, the words that I use. It's not my way or the highway. But the way we talk sometimes, it's like, I, I, it's more important for me to get my way. It's more important for me to be right here. And that's what colors our communication instead of the gospel. And by the way, if you, if you look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it goes right into verse 5, right? Consider others more significant than yourselves, right? Consider the interests of others also. And then verse 5 is, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then you get those glorious few verses in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, about the condescension of Christ coming from heaven and then putting on humanity, being um, like a servant. He He became a servant for us, and He went to death, even the death of the cross. So... In your communication, are you being like that? Are you saying, I'm, I'm going to bring a Christ-like attitude where I humble myself before this person. I don't have to be right. I don't have to get my way. I need to represent Jesus who came from heaven to earth to the cross. Are my words reflecting that or not? So, attacking the problem means finding a solution. Attacking the problem means finding a solution. So, what do you mean? Questions to ask. Questions to ask if we're going to find a solution. Why did God allow this to happen? Whatever it is you're talking about. God's in charge of it. If we give thought to His sovereignty, we need to remember that God intends good in all that He is ordering and superintending. So maybe you talk about that. Sometimes it's like we throw out God's control whenever we talk about things, as if He didn't bring this into our lives. I mean, think about the silly things that we get angry about and we we fight about with our words. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's in your, your wife or your spouse in the front seat and... You're angry about the fact that there's traffic and you should have taken this this way instead of this way. Why, why are you slamming on the brakes so much? Didn't you see that person who wanted to get in? Those kinds of things. Those are the kinds of things we, we fight about. We, we, we like to say it's big, grandiose issues, right, that are life-altering and, you know, geopolitical stuff. It's not that. It's little things like that, like traffic. And oh man, we're we're going to be late. Or why you know why didn't you do this? Why why didn't you actually uh, uh, you know take out the trash or what have you? And so say okay, well let's talk about the fact that God was in control here. And and you can ask yourself that question before you even go to have that conversation with your your spouse or whoever it may be. Why did God do this? What's He trying to teach me? What do I need to do to respond to this knowing that He was in control? What character issues is God trying to deal with in me? Humility? Gentleness? Faithfulness? Truthfulness? Uh, reliability? 
Questions that can help us get to a solution instead of attacking the person and getting our pound of flesh. What plan needs to be formulated to deal with this issue? These these are not talking about the person attacking the person. They're trying to get at how can we move past this? How can we see things from God's perspective and take the next step and make a good plan so that we can actually resolve it, resolve the tension, resolve the conflict? Attack the problem, not the person. Then there's the final one. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. Look with me at verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love that. I, I often think about verse 32 In all these imperatives that we have seen here, Paul doesn't get very far before he brings us back to the gospel again. With the practical and with the the, the functional things of life, he's saying, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. How can we not? How can we not forgive when we remember that God so graciously has forgiven us of countless sins? Sins we know about and sins we don't know about. The sins we've committed in the past, the ones we'll commit in the future. And all the, 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 the sins in our head, all the, the sins that are sins of commission and the sins of omission, all of those sins he's forgiven. And I'm really going to resist this person? I'm, I'm going to refuse this person forgiveness? When God has forgiven me in Christ as he has, the gospel is what we need to remember so that we can communicate in these ways. But that's just a little bit of a a helpful addition there. So act, don't react. Often when we react to something, the reaction is an angry one. And so, which makes sense given verse 31, right? So let's think of it in that way. Conflicts and arguments happen usually when people react to something they don't like. Okay, But rather, we ought to be those kinds of people who are um, Proverbs 15.28 people. Okay, Proverbs 15.28 says this, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Do you think before you speak? Do you stop and say, Okay, how can I give grace? How can I build up right now? What about Proverbs 29.20? You can write this one down too. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Impulsive speech should not be characteristic of us as Christians, but rather thoughtful, intentional um, questions a questioning kind of speech before we actually let it come out of our mouths before we regret what we say we're trying to think what would do the most good what would be most Christ-like we need to ponder how to answer instead of being impulsive and simply reacting in anger verse 31 tells us what to put off and give you different kinds of anger that we see listed out in verse 31 that we need to put off First of all, bitterness. 
the inability, I would say, uh, rather, I would, I would change inability to refusing to treat someone as if they never hurt you. Refusing to treat someone as if they never hurt you. Right? Refusing forgiveness. So angry at this person? I, I'm, you, you stay angry at that person. Refusing to lift the guilt that they've... They have against you, or the, the guilt that they have because of their sin against you, you're refusing to lift that off of them. The, refusing to treat someone as if they never hurt you. And there's wrath in this text, flaring outbursts of rage, outbursts of anger, they're called in Galatians chapter 5. Anger, a settled indignation of hostility that frequently seeks revenge. This would be more of the slow burn kind of anger. Isn't it interesting? You can say, I'm not an angry person. I don't struggle with anger. But then God says, oh, here, I'll just give you all of these kinds of anger. I'm sure that you struggle with at least one of these. Because we can say, well, I'm not the kind of person who flies off the handle. That's not me. That's not my personality. That's my struggle. So I'm not an angry person. But you could be the person with the slow burn, a settled indignation of hostility. You could be the bitter person in your struggles with sin. Or the person who struggles with clamor, harsh contention and strife, even public quarreling, brawling. Maybe you're pugnacious in your communication. Right? Or maybe you are a slanderer, speech using speech that injures, abuses with your speech. Or maybe malice, the desire to harm others or to see others suffer. Isn't it interesting? God's saying there are all kinds of different anger. Don't don't say that you don't struggle with anger because here are different ways that we can exhibit anger. And you need to put all of these off. None of them should characterize you, Christian. So, what do we need to put on instead? Verse 32 tells us, we've already talked about forgiveness a little bit, but verse 32 tells us to put on what? Kindness. Which means benevolent, helpful, courteous. Put on tenderheartedness, which literally means of good heartedness. It's compassionate. It's sympathetic. And then forgiving. To pass over an offense and to free the offender from the consequences of it. I'm not going to hold your sins against you. That's what... That's what God does. He sends our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Right? Psalm 103. He chooses not to treat us accordingly. Like Psalm 130 as well. It says, um, O oh Lord, if you would keep a record, right? If you would keep a record of my transgressions, who could stand? Right? If you recorded in like a legal ledger my iniquities I couldn't stand. No one could stand. But then he says, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And so we need to have the same kind of mentality. Like just eager to forgive. I'm ready to lift that guilt off of you. I'm ready to not, not punish you or to hold back love from you because of your sin. You have that ready heart, that eager heart to do that like God's heart toward us in Christ. We're already forgiven. If we're going to act and not react, then we need to listen well. We need to be good listeners because listening well is an aspect of biblical communication. It's the the very strong support, the, the, the strong helper to biblical communication is listening. So look with me at Proverbs 18, 2. Proverbs 18, 2. I always get like a, like a wincing sound from people when I read this. Like last hour in, in track three, I read this for another lecture, and they were like, oh, you know, you kind of get one of those. It's a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Man, in arguments between people who are in conflict, that is a kind of a reigning truth, unfortunately. Right? Not listening to the other person, but you've got this laundry list of things that you just want to, you just want to throw at the other person. I'm going to let them have it, man. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And so you're only thinking about what you want to say instead of hearing. Instead of hearing, which uh, verse 13 in Proverbs 18 says, if one, again, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's this falling shape. Listening, not just thinking about what you want to say, but what is this person saying? And again, if they are an image bearer of God, and they are, if they belong to Christ, they have value, dignity, and worth. Give them the honor and the respect of hearing them out. Give them your ears and your heart as they're speaking. Now you say, well, what if they're flying off the handle? What if they're they're yelling? Okay, step back and say, okay, is there truth to what they're saying? I want to try and understand where their grief is coming from, uh, what they're saying about my sin and how I've made them feel. I want to try to understand, even though it's hard, because yes, there's there's sin wrapped up in their response, but that doesn't give you a pass on listening, just because they're articulating things in a sinful way. So, listen and don't interrupt. Listen and don't interrupt. Man, I don't know about you, but I hate watching political TV. It's like no one lets anybody talk. You know, this makes me on edge when I watch that all the time. Just turn it off because no one's actually letting somebody else speak. They don't want to listen. They just want to be right. Ah. Uh frustrating. But don't be like that in the way that you communicate with other people, especially those you're in tension with. You might be disagreeing about something, but you know, love the person enough to to listen. And don't interrupt them. And then you know, if if they're even if they keep going on and on and on, just say, can can I have, can may I respond to that? You know, to make it peaceful so you don't exacerbate the problem. Oh, sorry. Listen and don't just think about what you want to say while the other person is speaking. We, we dealt with that just a moment ago. And then how about this? 
when it's your turn to speak, practically, I allow breaks in the conversation so that the other person can have time to process and reply. Wouldn't that be a way to, to practically love the other person? Like, you say something and just give them a moment, you know? And, and then say a little bit more if they don't have anything else. Because, you know, it can be hard if the other person's talking and you don't allow them any, any room to respond and to give feedback. And so that could be just a, a way to, to serve the other person in that conversation so you can get down to resolving the issue. Then, ask clarifying questions to make sure you heard correctly and understand what the other person is saying. Like by, When you said that, or this, I, I, I think you mean this. Is that correct? Because you don't want to operate on a, a misunderstanding. Right? Now, um, if you operate on a misunderstanding, that could then spark up new controversy, new tension. So it would be loving for you to ask clarifying questions. What, what, what can I do there? Um, I can ask a question about um, when you use that specific word, you, what did you mean by that? so that you can actually um, move forward and not backward because there was misunderstanding and then you're accused maybe of doing something that's insensitive because you actually didn't take the time to ask clarifying questions. Part of this, acting and not reacting, being intentional and resolute in our communication for the glory of God, involves communicating in love, um, not like lawyers. Right? It's not about winning. It's about loving. It's about exalting Christ. It's about bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about treating this person in a way that represents your Savior. It's about moving toward peace, His way, by His Spirit. We're not lawyers. When you, when you know you've changed in this area, I'm not saying perfect, I'm not, but how do you know? It's when the put-on things become comfortable and more like second nature. But so often, you know, when you're counseling, you might have counselees, and, and what's, what's second nature, what's natural, what's, what's just common, and what they've um, had entrenched in their ways of communication for many years, maybe decades, is the verse 31 habits. Right? All of the... The angry responses, that's what's normal for them. That's what's common for them. They, they not really felt much else, perhaps, in their relationship. And they're coming to you to help. But they need to learn these principles and put on these truths by the power of the Spirit so that they can have these things be more of their uh, default setting, so to speak, as they walk in the Spirit. By the way, Someone else's hurtful words don't give you the freedom to act in like manner. My children are getting older, but I still hear from them. But he started it. Yep, but you didn't have to follow. You didn't have to respond in a sinful way. You're not justified here. It's not rationalized because, and here's another text of Scripture I feel like I have to repeat a lot in my house, which is Romans 12, 17-21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Think ahead. Plan 
what is honorable, right? Give forethought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that verse because it tells us you have a part to play. You can, you do your part, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. You can't make other people do their part, but you do have control over what you do. So you live peaceably. You do your part. And if they aren't going to do their part, then you entrust the Lord to them. You can keep doing your your due diligence, you, you keep operating according to the word and pray that the Lord would use that and help you to continue to persevere in loving God in your communication, you've got your part to do. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I often ask my children, who, who says that? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Is that you? Do you say that? No, God And we need to have the same kinds of conversations going on in our heads. Who says vengeance is mine? God says it. We don't get to say vengeance is mine. Only God, only Yahweh says that. And so, do we think like that? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So like we were talking about earlier, if you will um, step forward and own your sin and be humble before them, maybe that's you overcoming evil with good, and maybe that's some a way in which the other person senses their need to change as well. And they repent. So do your part. You, you don't get the freedom to, to act like they do because they started it. You end it. End it with God's way. End it with you acting like Jesus. Bring peace. Be a peacemaker, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a characteristic of those who belong to the kingdom of God. Are you a peacemaker? Like God who made peace with us through Jesus Christ. Are you going to be that way in your speech? Finally, we'll close with this. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Um, I hope this is helpful. As I'm looking at the clock, I've got 10 seconds left. And so let's use that to pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for loving us. I pray that this would be instructive to us. Please help us to use our words um, as a fountain of life, pointing people to you and living and speaking in such a way as you are represented and your character comes out and the way that we proclaim and herald and communicate and love each other in conflict, even when we're not being loved with words that are given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.